From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Doc Staples. As always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. By Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. By Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina. And by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. Okay, so we're finally here. This is the LSU preview. Talking game one, talking about what we are likely to see in this game. And as with all first games, this is a difficult game to project. These two teams are still very much unknown, and first games tend to be sloppy. There tend to be a lot of mistakes, and that means that a lot of times first games aren't necessarily representative of what happens the rest of the season for a team. They're not fully representative, at least. You, you could have a team that you know turns it over three or four times in game one and then stabilizes and becomes a really good, a really good team. You could have couple coverage busts, all sorts of things tend to happen in game one. And game ones often tend to have a lot of missed tackles and struggles on defense relative to uh, to the offense. Offenses usually start camp a little bit behind the defense, and then by the end of camp, uh, offenses are more ready to go into the season than defenses are, and then defenses sort of catch up over the course of the season. So those are all things to keep in mind as you come into this game. Now, last year's game was pretty sloppy. Uh, you know, you had a couple muff punts. You had two block kicks that ultimately determined the game. You had a fumble, as Florida State fans will remember very well. You had a fumble going in to the end zone where FSU could have put the game out of reach in the fourth quarter. Uh, you had a variety of different things that just this game could have gone in either direction last year at any point. And remember, the one kick wasn't even, you know, the one kick block shouldn't have been necessary because because the LSU player was tackled in bounds, so they got an extra extra play that they shouldn't have gotten. So, just a lot, a lot went on in last year's game, and don't be surprised if if the game on Sunday night isn't also pretty wild in a lot of respects. First games tend to be strange, so. That being said, a couple things to think about coming into this uh, into this game. Number one is these are two reasonably veteran teams at spots that matter. You've got returning starters at quarterback. You got a lot of returners on the line of scrimmage on both sides. And they're they're replacing a, a little bit more on the defensive line at LSU than than Florida State is. But both teams return a lot of a lot of. There's a lot of returning talent, a lot of experienced talent on the offensive lines. There's there's players that should not be in position to make a bunch of freshman mistakes or a bunch of early season mistakes. These are these are guys. You know, you talk about Jordan Travis or, or Jaden Daniels. I think Daniels is in his sixth year. I mean, keep in mind, Daniels was one of the two quarterbacks that, that Florida State was recruiting in the same class as Sam Howell. Now, Daniels was actually the one of the two that I preferred for what Willie Taggart and that staff planned to do offensively. Uh, and then, of course, they they targeted Howell and, and ended up not getting Daniels. Daniels wanted to go to Florida State, from what I understand. Uh, but he it's been a long road since then. I mean, this is a guy who... in, in in Willie Taggart's first class would have been a potential would have been potentially at Florida State at that point. So that's how long he's been in college. And then of course Jordan Travis has been around forever. You know, these are quarterbacks into their early 20s. They're getting into their mid 20s here real soon. <laughs> so that does help minimize a little bit of the the mess that you kind of expect in those first games. So all that said, it's still first game. And one other thing, actually, that I meant to mention here up at the top is from my vantage point in looking at the history of these coaches, one thing that to keep in mind is I think Mike Norvell has typically had his team very ready to play relative to competition in game one. You go back 
each of the season openers that Mike Norvell has has been in Tallahassee, Florida State has been has been exceptionally well prepared, and they've played among their best games of the season in those openers. And a couple of those games have been against Brian Kelly, right? You've got the Notre Dame overtime game. That was a much better Notre Dame team than, than that Florida State team. The Florida State team took them down to the wire, probably should have won that game, even though Notre Dame was the better team. But Norvell and his staff had a great plan, and that team was ready to play in game one. And then last year, LSU was the more talented team. But Norvell seems to be really good at getting his teams ready to play early in the season. And that's going to be really necessary here. So that's something to keep in mind, just in terms of history. And I think Norvell has outcoached Brian Kelly in at least three of their four matchups. He was outmanned in all four. But I think in at least three of the four, Florida State outperformed the overall talent gap. or. Norvell's team outperformed the talent gap. Let's just put it that way. So those are some things to consider coming into this game. Now, I'm going to break this down as I usually do, starting with offense versus defense, then flipping that down around defense versus offense. I'm going to start this one with LSU's offense against Florida State's defense. And by the way, some of you will notice that this does not have my usual studio quality sound. Actually, I'm not really from the true EPR creation studio this uh, this go round. I'm I'm going from the road here, so pardon the not as stellar as usual audio quality here. In any case, LSU is coming back. They're returning with the same offensive coordinator, Denbrock, and he's running you know Brian Kelly's offense, and that's. Always about, always been about vertical stems. They're going to get upfield aggressively and and package verticals without routes. They're going to try to use. They're going to try to create a lot of natural rub routes against teams that want to play match and and uh, that variety of, of of coverages, match and and man based coverages. And so they're going to they're going to try to to cause you some problems with little switch routes and rubs and and all sorts of things. They're usually going to get the ball out of the hand pretty quickly. Not a ton of deep drops for this team. And they're going to run a bunch of inside zone and inside zone read as the core core run concepts. They will get into some power encounter and that sort of thing, but they've traditionally been an inside zone, inside zone read base team, as opposed to Florida State, who's been base counter, base, base counter and power. Now, FSU, you know, technically in terms of what they install first, they're going to install inside zone first as well but they, they run it less. Uh, they also have a lot of arrow and flat routes in their play action tree. They're going to use a lot of H-backs and some of their bigger receivers in that role. and try to They, they use the flats really well in this offense, so that's something to, to consider. Now, if we're looking at this, this is a pretty familiar matchup for Florida State and Florida State fans since you know this was a, this was a game that was played last year. And... Basically, I think a good way to think about going through this preview is to talk about where where things are are likely to be a little bit different from what we saw last year. Because again, this was a an LSU team in its first game under a new coach, had a lot of young players in a lot of different spots, and this is a team that's taken a lot of transfers in, in each year. And Florida State, of course, has made some significant changes as well since last year, and 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 there's a lot of. Uh, improvements in general, but just some things that are different coming into a new year as well for Florida State. So what we're basically going to do is we're going to talk about where things project to be a little bit different from last year. So one thing that I think is is evident about LSU coming into this game is they feel like their offensive line is going to be significantly improved over what it was in the opener last year. And there's good reason to think that. For one, last year, you had a five-star offensive tackle in Will Campbell starting his first game in college football at left tackle and drawing the enviable assignment of blocking Jared Verse play after play. That, that's not great. So, And that was a great time for Florida State to draw that matchup. And what that means is Cam- Campbell has had more room to grow to catch up to something closer to Verse's level than 
Verse has had to continue to improve where he is. So this should be a more competitive matchup against Verse now than it was last year. I mean, Verse ate him alive last year. Verse bullied him and and did and and really did a lot of just straight power rush and got him into the backfield quickly. If you go back and you look at that, it was ugly. So that's one of the first questions I have coming into this game is how much better can Campbell be and how much closer is that matchup between Verse and Campbell in those passing situations compared to last year? Because if Verse does anything close to Campbell to what he did last year, well, this game's this, that, that's going to have a big factor in how this game's going to turn out. But I just I, I think Campbell's going to be better prepared to neutralize Verse on more downs and just not get bullied as much as he did last year. He's going to have refined his technique after a year of of playing. He's had an opportunity to gain some weight and get stronger. He's you know a good 15, 20 pounds heavier than he was. And that's going to make this a much more interesting matchup, a much more competitive matchup, and much less optimal matchup for Florida State. And I think in general, LSU is much more stable on the offensive line now than they were last year. I mean, last year they were cobbling together five, and they, they went through a bunch of different offensive line lineups last year while they were going through the over the course of the year. And then they kind of settled on some guys and finally got some things to work toward the end of the year. And then those guys basically are, are mostly returning this year. So that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. I think LSU is better on the offensive line and they think they're going to be able to run the football better than they did last year. And specifically run the football better than they did against Florida state last year, where they, again, they got bullied up front last year. Good bit. So that's going to matter. It's going to matter a lot. And remember, last year they got Florida State with Fabian Lovett on the interior. So they're, they're, this is not a situation where, compared to last year, FSU is bringing in a much better defensive line situation. That's, that's not the situation here. Now, one place where FSU does have a, a stronger... They're stronger than they were last year coming into this game is... Patrick Payton on the opposite side of verse gives them gives FSU a much better pass rusher opposite verse to take away some of the potential to double team or try to take away some of some of the additional pressure that that might be put on verse some of the additional attention if they if they focus on verse too much in this game you could see Patrick Payton eat and I do think whoever is on the opposite side of Campbell is going to have some opportunities in the pass rush in this game. I mean, they've got, I mean, Emory Jones is a good player at right tackle, but I do think both of Florida state's pass rushers should be, should be able to get some plays against, against him in the, uh, in, in, in the pass rush situation. That's where I think you're going to see some pressure. The other thing is that I think Braden Fisk brings a different dimension to Florida state up front compared to Cooper last year. So Cooper was a, you know, fire hydrant on the inside, tough to move and all that, but you know, was not a disruptive presence against LSU last year at defensive tackle. He was he was tough to move but not disruptive in terms of getting penetration and all of that. Fisk is a different different kind of cat. He's going to get penetration. He's probably going to have a say in, you know, ending a drive or two with penetration and and, and making a tackle for loss. And you pair him with Fabian Lovett who did wreck LSU on the interior last year. As many snaps as Lovett can give you that are high-quality snaps in this game, you're happy to have. I think you feel pretty good about that. So all in all, up front, this is going to be a different matchup than it was last year, but I do think there's still some opportunities for, especially for Fisk and for Peyton, to make themselves known on the interior to supplement the guys that that did have big days against LSU last year, and again, I think Lovett could still have a pretty pretty big role if he's if he's feeling uh, fully recovered at this point for this one. And you know, Verse is going to get his at some point, even if he's neutralized more than he was last year. So that's the first thing that I think is interesting in looking at some of those differences. Another thing that I think is different is you remember last year coming into this game, it was all about 
Kayshawn Boutte and uh, to a lesser extent some of the supporting receivers for LSU. But you know, how could Florida State cover him and and a quality set of wide receivers? Well, this year it's different. You've got this year you've got neighbors first of all who and ended up being the the real number one wide receiving threat last year for LSU, not Boutte, who had a disappointing year for a variety of reasons. Uh, and Neighbors really developed. He developed into a true number one wide receiver and an NFL type wide receiver. He's he's going to be a he's going to be a handful for whoever has hit responsibility for him in this game. And you know, Florida State's probably not going to be able to single cover him reliably over the course of this game. They're going to have to have some support from safeties and, and other things. And they also have more downfield big play kind of speed merchant threats this year than they than they did last year. I think, you know, one major one happens to have been a former teammate of Destin Hill and Greedy Vance at Edna Carr. And that's Aaron Anderson. He's a five eight, hundred and ninety pounder, kind of a thickly built, you know, slot receiver type who he's going to be their kick returner, punt returner, which they had problems at both of those spots last year and the muff the two muff punts they had really cost them that game. And you know he's a guy that ran ten seven in the hundred meters as a high school junior. This is a fast dude with you know pretty significant acceleration and burst. Florida State's going to need to know where he is, in addition to knowing where Neighbors is. They didn't really have as much of the run and hide speed last year on the field as what Aaron Anderson is going to give them this year. They got a couple other options there as well. Uh, the other, the number two receiver, Kyron Lacey. You know he's a good player. I think you can cover him. But, you know, again, you have to be solid in coverage against all these guys. And then, of course, Mason Taylor, the son of uh, of uh, Dolphins great Jason Taylor is the is the tight end there. And, and he's he's really, really good. He's fluid, very big, uh, long, you know, gives them some options. And again, they use the, the flats and some of those arrow routes and all that really well. You've got to be able to get him on the ground when he gets his hands on the football. So the other thing that really. The, the question is how much this has changed. So I, I, I've been going through some of the changes from last year to this year. This one is one that is still in the air, and that has to do with Jaden Daniels. So the word out of LSU camp is that Daniels has significantly improved his overall comfort within the system and that he's doing a better job of pulling the trigger and making downfield throws. Now, this is for me a little bit of a believe it when you see it kind of thing because he since he's been in college he's always been a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger down the field unless he feels really good. That's, you know, that's a factor. So some of this is it might be just temperament and how fast you process and how fast you feel comfortable making certain throws against certain looks when a guy isn't just wide open. And, you know, I want to know, I want to, I want to see how much he's improved on that downfield stuff. If it's significant, then that's a dangerous, dangerous proposition for Florida State and its defense. Because last year, there were times where there were wide receivers who were open downfield and he just didn't pull the trigger, not just against Florida State, but against other teams. And some of those went for sacks, some of those he would scramble. But last year, I mean, if you look at it, 180 of his 391 attempts on the year, 180 of 391 attempts, that's 46% of his attempts were thrown within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. So almost 50% of his pass attempts last year were fewer than 10 yards downfield. So that that's going to be interesting. I mean, does that change? Does that percentage change? Or is he still a guy who just likes to get the ball out of his hand and, and, and throws underneath and does not take a lot of chances downfield? And when I say doesn't take chances, you look at this last year. According to Pro Football Focus, they grade the number of they, they grade the number of big time throws that a guy makes. That's a throw that uh, by their metric, their definition, a big time throw is a pass with excellent ball location and timing generally thrown further down the field and or in a tighter window. So they, they grade those. Last year, he had 12 big-time throws. Now, for perspective, 
Uh, Jordan Travis. I'm looking this up here because I know Travis was among the top in the country here. For perspective, Jordan Travis had 27 of those last year. So Jordan Travis had 7.1% of his throws were big-time throws. So that's tight window throws down the field. 7.1%. Jaden Daniels, 2.9%. 12 of them. Fewer than half of what Jordan Travis did. And that was more a function of he just didn't make throws that would even be give him a chance to make a big-time throw. It's not that he couldn't make the throw. It's that he just didn't. Didn't pull the trigger. And out of that as well, so last year, Jordan Travis was excellent in terms of turnover-worthy plays. 1.9% turnover-worthy plays. Eight turnover-worthy plays on the season. That's excellent. For perspective, Spencer Rattler had six turnover-worthy plays in his last two games of the season in a 4.4% ratio on the season. So 4.4% turnover-worthy plays on the year for Spencer Rattler compared to one9 for Jordan Travis. Jaden Daniels had three turnover-worthy plays in the entire season. 0.6% turnover-worthy plays. This is a guy who was really concerned about protecting the football. Now, interestingly, of those three turnover-worthy plays, he threw three interceptions. Now, one of those interceptions, I think, was a deflection off a receiver's hand, so that doesn't go down as a turnover-worthy play, but it's a guy that does not turn the football over because he doesn't take a lot of chances. Now, they've been trying to get him to take some chances. That's been one of the emphases in their camp and, and in preparation coming into the season. But the bottom line is, this is a guy who just, he really doesn't like to put the ball in danger. He tends to be a little bit on the safer side, just in terms of his temperament. And then the other thing that you look at here is when kept clean last year, his pro football focus grade, Jaden Daniels, was 90.1. 90.1. That's excellent. When under pressure, his grade was 62.7 and his passing grade went from 85 to 55.9. So he went to basically average to below average when under pressure. Basically, by the way, those numbers are pretty comparable to uh, to Jordan Travis. Travis was a little higher when kept clean. His passing pressure under pressure number was almost identical to, uh, to Jaden Daniels. But the thing that sticks out here is that Daniels in general did not, and he, by the way, took quite a few sacks when under pressure. He took, no way. Is that 45 sacks on 146 dropbacks under pressure? So he took 45 sacks last year. I mean, I knew it was a lot, but I didn't realize it that many. Just for perspective, Jordan Travis was sacked 17 times last year under pressure. Wow. So Jaden Daniels pressured 146 times and sacked 45 of them. Jordan Travis pressured 123 times and sacked 17. So Daniels is a guy that if you get pressure on him, you got a decent chance of sacking him, partly just because he just does not get rid of the football. But this is a guy that does not like to throw when under pressure. And when he scrambles, he generally scrambles to run. But when he does scramble, if he's able to break outside the pocket and not get sacked, he is elite. He's one of the fastest quarterbacks in the country. He may well run 4-4 when, when he's tested. You cannot let him break the pocket and get into scramble mode because you're looking at a guy that will rip off chunks of 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 yards because he is so fast once he gets rolling upfield. You've got to get your hands on him when you do get pressure, and you've got to emphasize to your pass rushers that they do need to stay in their lanes when they're coming downhill against him. And he is a good quarterback to green dog against. A green dog, again, is where you uh, you have a a backer who's responsible for, say, a back or a tight end in pass protection. And if that back or tight end stays in for pass protection, then you he becomes an add-on rusher on a delayed blitz. He's a good quarterback to do that sort of thing with, and also he's one of the few quarterbacks that, that's not the worst idea in the world to spy. I, I tend not to like to spy because I, I don't like taking that extra guy out of coverage, and I, I, if it comes to it, I'd prefer to do more match zone-type coverage so that my guys are watching the quarterback a little bit, and then they can just respond to the scramble. But this is a guy that you, you probably do use some 
some spy stuff against. Problem is, you better have a guy that can fly to spy him. Because he's a guy that, that can run away from almost any spy. So I think if you are going to spy him, you use Deloach in particular. Now, he can still probably... He's, he's about as fast as Deloach, maybe even a little faster than Deloach. So Deloach still has to be really disciplined about that. And you might use safety. You might go you know, sixth defensive backs and have a safety. And the problem is, again, you're not guaranteed that your safety is faster than him. So that, that's really one of the wild cards in this game. Is you know He hurt Florida State big time last year. I think he had over 100 yards. If I remember right, it was 108 yards rushing last year. And it was all on scrambles. You cannot let him do that again this year. Now, the thing is, they... In terms of running backs, I don't think they have a whole lot of game breakers. I don't. In fact, I'm not sure they have a single true game breaker on that on that team. They've got some guys that are good backs, but they don't have your traditional LSU back who you come in and you're like, man, that guy. If he gets out in the open field, you're, you're in trouble. There's no Fournette on this team. They're gonna, they're going to rely on being really good up front to run the football, so they could be productive behind that offensive line. But you you don't think. You're not as concerned about about their running game leading to a bunch of 60-70 yard plays from the running backs. So to me, on the offensive side for LSU, so if you're looking at this from Florida State's defensive side, this matchup comes down to the following. Number one, can Florida State's defense limit Jaden Daniels' legs and the impact of his legs? Is there any way that they can that they can hold up on the edge against Daniel's legs and and all the arrow routes and and different things that they're gonna they're, they're gonna see you know LSU is gonna get him out of the pocket some are they gonna be able to hold up against Daniel's when he goes to tuck the football are they gonna be able to to corral him in the pocket and get pressure and affect him and keep him from being able to to throw when comfortable so essentially can Florida State put it a different way can Florida State get pressure on Daniels enough to make him uncomfortable without allowing him to essentially wreck you with his legs. That's number one. That, and, and if Florida State is able to do that, I think they win the football game. And then the second one is, can Florida State limit explosives like they did last year? If I remember right, and, and again, I, I'm not looking at the numbers here. I looked at these earlier. I think LSU had three explosives last year against Florida State. The only, those are the only three they had in that game. I think all three might have been Daniel's legs. So they they did a great job of limiting explosives and forcing LSU to drive the football field on this. Can they limit explosives the way they did last year? And that comes down to the combination of getting sufficient pressure on Daniels to where he's not making comfortable throws downfield to wide receivers who are going to be able to, to, to get open, even against good defensive backs. And also that means not having busts as you've got some newcomers in your, in your secondary. And how, how much can that second corner, that being Fentrell Cypress or AZ Thomas, how much are you going to be able to hold up on the edges when you do go single coverage? Because again, I think this is a game where you want to get five, ideally you want five rushers on Daniels every play as often as possible, which takes you away from a lot of the game plan that you had last year in terms of you know two safeties and all of that. You want to have five rushers accountable for him, including one that can fly, just to make sure that he is uncomfortable as often as possible and can't just take advantage of some of the wide receivers that they've got. So that's where this comes down to, I think, on the LSU offense, FSU defense side. So if we flip this over to the other side of the ball, looking at Florida State on offense and LSU on defense, this is where things get a little more more fun for, for the Florida State side in terms of evaluating the matchups and all of that. So once again... Uh, LSU, coordinated by Matt House, who was the linebackers coach of the Kansas City Chiefs before taking over this job. And he's a, you know, they're a hybrid front type team. They like having a jack, very flexible in coverage. And they like to run a lot of single safety type stuff. So man free, match, match three type, type principles. And they like to keep, keep things simple in general. And traditionally, I mean, this is LSU and traditionally for Matt House, they like to, they're going to give you your one-on-one matchups on the outside and count on their corners to win those matchups. They did that last year. 
typically they're going to do that in this defense, and they're going to turn four rushers loose, and they're typically going to have that extra some extra guy in the box for a running quarterback to trace Chap- Travis. And that was, you know, that worked out generally pretty well for them last year. They were able to limit Florida State in the running game for the most part. It was just a few explosive plays that were the difference for for Florida State in the passing game. You can think about the uh, the one-handed catch that Pokey Wilson had in the end zone, a couple of big big catches from from a couple other guys, but by and large it was it was in the passing game and with some chunk plays that Florida State was able to move the football last year. Now they did have some notorious problems stopping counter later on in the year in 2022. They they it was bad. <laughs> and that's partly because they got really thin on the defensive line after Mason Smith got hurt against Florida State in in the first series. <clears throat> and I've said I've, I've, I've said before, I'm going to repeat it again. I'm not sure Florida State wins that game last year if Mason Smith plays. If he plays the whole game. Because I think that guy brings some things to the table in terms of defensive line presence that you know he can wreck you on a couple plays that, that end drives. You know, he's a guy that gets, it, gets that extra sack, gets two extra tackles for loss that the others on, the, on this team don't get. And that tackle for loss, those two tackles for loss lead to two drives that end before you get into scoring zone. And that just in, in not on the aggregate. So, you know, he, I'm not saying this guy's worth 10 points to his team. You know, no, no defensive player is worth quite that. But I am saying that in certain matchups, he might be in a specific game worth 10 points. Because if you end two drives with a tackle for loss in each, that wouldn't have been a tackle for loss if you're not there. And then those two drives go and they score. Then that might be, you know, a, a, a double digit difference. So that's, I think, I think the fact that he's not playing again in this one. Now we don't know exactly how fully healthy he is in terms of his recovery. I mean, we'll find that out as the year goes, so, but even if he's 85 or 90% of what he was pre-injury last year, the fact that he's not playing in this game is a, is a major, major deal. Nevertheless, they still brought in four defensive line transfers. To me, the key ones are the West Virginia transfer, Jordan Jefferson, good name for an LSU player, and then the one Florida State's seen before, Jaden Lee from Florida. Neither's a, a wrecker. Neither's you know one of those guys that's going to cause a ton of problems, but they do give them some more depth. And and I do think they're going to be, they're not going to be easy to push around on the inside. That's, that's the key there. Now, what they do have that they did not have in game one last year, they didn't really play him in game one last year is Harold Perkins, who look, if you get a little bit of time, go and go and put on Harold Perkins highlights on YouTube. That dude is spectacular. I mean, he is a, a top five type pick uh, player. I mean, he's he is extremely good. So good. And they used him in a variety of ways last year. One of the ways that he was most effective was they, they used him a lot coming off the edge as a pass rusher. But they've moved him to true off ball, you know, sort of middle linebacker role this year to be able to put him in a role where they, they can kind of move him around to where they like him best against different looks and, and with other personnel around him. He's, the, he's a guy, if you think about for him this year, Harold Perkins is for LSU's defense this year what Derwin James was supposed to be going into the, what, 2015 season when he got hurt. They were going to use him as a Swiss Army knife and use him at linebacker, at nickel, at safety, sometimes maybe line him up at corner, line him up on the at defensive end. He's that kind of player. He's a Derwin James type player, with in, in, bigger than than James was, but he's that kind of player that you can use all over the field, and you need to use all over the field, and you try to create mismatches defensively with that guy, and you also use him as an eraser against any player that the opposing team has. 
So let's say, for the sake of argument, you're playing against a team with a really good mobile quarterback who's, who's really fast, who can run away from most linebackers. Florida State, back in 2017, facing Jalen Hurts and Alabama, basically would use Derwin James as that plus one to take away Hurts' legs. Like, look, you're, you're not going to run away from our dude. <laughs> that guy is every bit the athlete your quarterback is, and he's going to be all over the place. And if your quarterback starts to scramble, well, that guy's going to come up and, and take care of it. That's what Harold Perkins is for LSU. He's that dude. He's the guy that, that serves as the eraser who I anticipate in this game will be designated as essentially man-to-man on Jordan Travis a lot of this game. And he's a guy you absolutely have to identify where he is every play. You have to locate like, okay, he's there. He's on the edge. All right, well, we're gonna need, I'm going to need to move my back over here. He's going to need to chip that guy. I'm going to need to, you know, okay, he's at the mic. We got to make sure he's mugging. We're going to have to make sure that, that, that we have a, a guy ready to, to handle him on the offensive line and might have to make sure we're adjusting our protection. There's all sorts of different things that you have to do where you know where that guy is. And you have to know, okay, if he's there, they're keeping him there and he's spying. So that means Jordan Travis, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of yardage stepping up in the pocket and trying to break through with a, with a run because Jordan Travis is not going to run away from this guy. Perkins is a guy that can run right with Travis and, and get him on the ground. So that potentially neutralizes Travis' legs. And that's something that, you know, if you look at how Brian Kelly has defended Florida State with Jordan Travis in two games at Notre Dame, or was it, yeah, two games at Notre Dame and then, uh, uh, and then a, a third game at, uh, at, with LSU last year, if you look at how he's decided to defend Florida State's offense with Jordan Travis, the commitment has been made first and foremost to take away Travis's legs. They're just not going to let Travis run. And I think the big part of that in how they're setting this up now is they're going to have Jordan Travis spied by Harold Perkins. So you essentially say, okay, well, there's your ex, there's your, your trump card, your usual trump card. Well, we're going to, we're going to put one down that just, just takes that off the board. Now what you got? I think that's one of the things they do. I also think they're going to do a lot of delayed blitz, green dog type stuff with him as a spy. So, you know, one of those things that sticks out about Perkins is that he is really impressive coming downhill. If you go back and you watch that Arkansas game, he destroyed Arkansas. And Arkansas has a couple of the, of really good running quarterbacks. And in fact, they had one of the fastest in, in uh, trying to remember his name now, starts with H, doesn't matter. They had one of the fastest quarterbacks in the country, and he stepped up from pressure, broke broke into what looked like the open field, and Perkins hawked him down like he was walking. So that's what I expect to see them do. But one of the things that stands out, if you watch Perkins, is he really likes to come downhill. So you don't necessarily want to spy with him just sort of sitting there and just waiting and waiting. What he, what's going to happen is the pass rush develops and he's going to sit there behind the line of scrimmage and then he's going to see where the gap is to advantageously shoot that gap on some sort of delayed blitz and try to get pressure while keeping Jordan Travis from being able to break contain and create with his legs. That's what they're going to try to do. So they're going to try to get pressure turning that defensive line loose and then have Perkins as the trump card to say, you break contain, or you're not going to break contain, but he's going to have to step up, and he's going to have to step up into that guy. And that guy is going to come straight downhill and hit him in the mouth if he doesn't get rid of the football quickly. So that, I think, is what you're going to do. If, if I had LSU's pieces, that's how I would do it. If I look at how Matt House has, has done things in the past, I think that's what they're going to do. So what you have to do then is you have to start taking advantage of that in coverage, because now you're expecting... Essentially, what amounts to a five-man rush most of the time. Now, they may drop one of the ends at times when they're doing that, 
to t- t- try to even those numbers out. There are different ways you can do that. You know, you can three-man rush and then keep Perkins in that role kind of behind the line of scrimmage initially and then shooting that and trying to trying to get to the quarterback while keeping the quarterback from being able to escape. You can do it with three-man rush and they'll probably do some of that with three-man rush. But when they're bringing that four-man rush with the the fifth piece behind it, what that means is you've got to start taking advantage of that because you're getting one-on-ones. Okay, you're bringing five. That leaves six in coverage. So you're going to have essentially room for one safety. If you if you release five into the into the pattern, then that leaves room for one safety and then five one-on-one matchups. What that means is Florida State has to win those one-on-one matchups. And you got to find you got to identify in pre-snap who's your who's your one-on-one matchup that you really like in this concept against this look. And I think LSU is going to have some problems in the secondary early in the year from what I can tell. I mean, you look at their corners, Zai Alexander seems to be their their number 1 right now. This is a 6-2 transfer from FCS program. That's a big ask for him in his first game at this level to take on Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. And then the other guy that's going to start, looks like, is someone familiar to Florida State, and that's Deuce Chestnut, who was a really good player for for Syracuse last year, 5'11". Really good player for Syracuse last year, but Johnny Wilson ate him alive last year. Just the physical difference between those two. Johnny Wilson had his way with Deuce Chestnut last year. This is one where Chestnut would rather not have that replayed. So if you look at this, if you're Florida State and you say, okay, if that's the approach you're going to take, we're getting the one-on-ones we want. You're going to get some one-on-ones as well, you know, with your tight ends and your backs. You know, can Jaheim Bell take advantage of some one-on-ones against Omar Spates or whoever the other the other backer is going to be in, in, in those contexts? I mean, Greg Penn is probably going to be on the field some. You know, there's they've got some they've got some good backers. You know, are you going to, you know, you got Ryan Sage who just moved to Nickelback. You know, who's going to, who's going to have the one-on-one that you, that you like for Florida State? And can you take advantage of those one-on-ones for big plays? That's, that's to me, if I'm looking at this matchup on this side of the ball, this matchup basically comes down to this. Number one, can FSU keep Harold Perkins from wrecking the entire offensive game plan? by essentially causing enough problems for Jordan Travis by getting pressure in key spots and keeping Travis from being able to extend plays and, uh, and make a difference with his legs. That, I think this is a game that Jordan Travis has to win from the pocket. And what that means then is, number two, can Florida State take advantage of LSU's concerns at corner and in secondary as a whole? If, if you're going to see some one-on-ones as they try to take away your run game and, and your quarterback's legs, how much are you going to be able to take advantage of those and can you get some chunk plays out of that? And historically speaking, Mike Norvell has always been able to scheme up at least one, often two, chunk plays that, that score. And you got to get those in this. You got you to cash in on those. And they did last year. That's why they won this game. They cashed in on a couple of deep throws that were set up well, and they scored on both of them, or scored as a result of both of them. And you, you got it. You've got to make those plays in this game as well, or you don't win this game. And then the other thing is, I think if this is the approach that you're going to see from LSU, Florida State's offensive line, they're you know, I wouldn't say rebuilt. I would say they're. Uh, rejuvenated offensive line has to hold up, not just hold up in the passing game, the passing game, but has to be able to run the football at Perkins. You want him to, you want to force him to handle the run coming at him downhill rather than letting him focus on the pass rush, letting him chase things down, all of that. You want him, you want him to have to take things on head on, take on an offensive guard, or an H back or a tackle who's who's coming downhill on a on a block. You have to make him take on blocks and and do all of that and body blow that guy 
as often as you can. Make this into a slugfest with your gap scheme stuff, with your inside zone. Use your big backs. Get the opportunity to try to lean on them and create some some play action opportunities and some RPO opportunities for your one-on-ones for those big dudes outside to be able to win. That's what you got to do. And I think this is a tough matchup for LSU because of Florida State's ability to win those one-on-ones in that situation. You know, the, 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 the challenging thing for FSU is, is that they, I think, will be able to more or less take away Jordan Travis's legs because of the superstar backer, because of Perkins. But I think you've got a couple of good options to basically say, okay, well, we, we're, we're just not going to have him run. He's just going to win from the pocket, and we're going to run the football. You know, you're going to focus your attention there. Well, we're going to have some read stuff where your guy is going to be chasing our quarterback, and all the action's going over there. We're just handing it off. That's what you have to do. Now, for me, for my money, special teams here are a crapshoot. Both teams have good punters. You have some questions in other spots. I mean, how how good really is Florida State's place kicking situation now? I don't think you want this game to come down to a fifty yard field goal. And of course, the the return situation. The main thing is, I think both teams just want to make sure that the ball gets caught on punts. You know, you drop you muff a punt, and that cost that might cost you a game in, in something that's this this narrow. So yeah, pretty straightforward there. All right. So to sum it up, I think this boils down to the following. LSU's wide receivers and quarterback's legs against FSU's edge players and secondary on that side of the ball. And then on the other side of the ball, I think it boils down to Florida State's wide receivers winning their one-on-ones against LSU's DBs and just making sure that they do enough in the run game and otherwise not to let Perkins just wreck things on the inside. So, what I'm confident about in this game is I think FSU will find some ways to run the football while LSU tries to use Perkins to neutralize Travis. And I think he is largely going to take away Travis's legs. I think there's going to be loads of one-on-one matchup opportunities in the passing game. And I think Norvell's going to scheme up at least one shot, probably two, that should and need to score. I'm pretty confident that LSU is going to have trouble running the football with their running backs and is going to wind up airing it out. I think we're going to see like 40 drop by 40 plus drop backs from Jaden Daniels, partly because his legs as a scrambler in that context actually becomes the best running game they've got. And I think LSU is going to depend on Daniels legs to continue to try to put pressure on Florida state and Florida state's defense. And I think FSU's wide receivers are going to cash in on some of those matchup opportunities in the passing game. What I'm less certain about, what I'm not confident about, is what's going to happen on the line of scrimmage. Maybe the upset of last year's game was that Florida State won the overall matchup on both sides of the ball on the line of scrimmage. Now, Mason Smith not being out there last year was a big factor in that. And his absence here is huge as well. I mean, he's the guy who could potentially change things for you up front, and he's not playing. And, you know, I think the other thing that's uncertain is LSU's wide receivers against Florida State's corners, I think is a strength versus strength matchup. I think LSU's wide receivers in terms of NFL future and all of that are, are, are better. You know, they're higher than, than Florida State's uh, corners in terms of, you know, that kind of grade. But I think FSU's corners are pretty good. And I think this is a strength versus strength matchup, but there are some concerns about first game problems for uh, that Florida State secondary. So that that's one of the concerns. Are they going to be able to make sure that there's no busts, that there's no freebies? So that brings us then to predictions. And as far as I'm concerned, coming into this, with Mason Smith out there, I think this game would basically be a coin flip game. I think LSU has more talent on their roster top to bottom. If you, you know, if you just look at the blue chip ratio, if you look at, you know, which players from which classes are likely to be high draft picks, that sort of thing. I think LSU is the more talented overall roster. 
But I think FSU has some key matchup advantages with some game breakers and difference makers in some of those spots that matter most for this game. So FSU's actually got an advantage in the overall matchup, I think, coming into this game. Now, last year, I picked Florida State to win 27-24. Ended up being pretty close. And I was only close because both teams made some significant mistakes that led to that final score. 24-23 Florida State. This year, without Mason Smith out there, I think ultimately FSU is able to create more explosive plays than LSU, both in the running game and with those big game breakers at wide receiver. And I think they wind up winning, and I think they wind up winning actually by a little bit of a surprising margin. I've got Florida State 38, LSU 27 in this game. And I think FSU is going to wind up with a surprising margin, you know, maybe a one-yard type margin, full-yard type margin in uh, yards per play. Because I think FSU is going to rip off some chunk plays in the run game and in the passing game that LSU, I think LSU is going to just have fewer overall chunk plays and, and all things being equal, that's that's going to be the difference in the game. Now, if LSU ends up plus one in the turnover column, I think this game suddenly becomes basically a, a coin flip. And I think plus two for LSU, so minus one, minus two for Florida State. And that includes, you know, muff punts and, you know, some of those things. A block punt to me counts as a, as a turnover as well. That sort of thing. If, if, if you see that, that tips the balance. So I think this is a two turnover situation for LSU. They're going to need to be probably plus two to win this game based on what I see in terms of the matchups, because I think FSU is going to be able to get some big plays against that secondary and, and also manage to manufacture some good looks. And, and they've got some serious speed and game breakers at running back where I think those, those things are going to happen. We'll go ahead and wrap there. Our first preview of the 2023 season is now over. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at shenrealestate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers in South Florida, and then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com. You can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.